Hey, Jimmy. Hey, Angela. This is Books, Books Are, are good. good, actually. <laughs> actually. And once again, we're in pandemic mode of recording, uh, mm -hmm. so that title will always be really shitty. Mm -hmm. For the month of June, uh, we are reading... Manga, in theory and practice. And, uh, this is by Hirohiko Araki, who's very much known for JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. So this is going to be a very, 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 very nerdy podcast. And Aren't they all? This is even, uh, technically, yeah. Yeah. A little bit. This one's extra. Extra nerdy. Mm -hmm. Also, mm -hmm. this is going to be a very spoiler podcast. If you, I mean, I don't know what shows we're going to bring up, but like, I just kind of expect shit to get spoiled. Yeah. Of anything. Yep. So I'm sorry. Uh, and uh before yeah. we begin talking, I just want to say uh, uh, welcome to our third member of the podcast, Craig, the recording bot. Hi, Thank Craig. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, Craig. Praise Craig. All right. So let's get started. Um, at the end, we'll talk about um, books that for the next uh, month um, or mm -hmm. July. We're not going to have a podcast because of Jimmy's other real world things that are coming up. And... Sure. Um, so uh, the books will be in the notes, and if you just want to skip this one, which I totally understand, just wait till August. Honestly, yeah. don't skip this one. This one's pretty interesting and definitely applicable to things outside of manga. Um, don't skip this one. Don't skip this one. Okay. So, Jimmy, what anime or manga have you watched or read? I've read enough, so... Sure. Um, so I am... Um, not really like i un i've watched uh like the the couple of like super obvious like american Amer like american entryism manga uh, or animes like dragon ball z digimon um sailor moon um what else uh yu yu hakusho so pretty that, much anything on toonami that yeah, pretty much anything yeah. on toonami um uh, also, as you well know, um, I have an unashamed love for the melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya, um, which some people may think sh is shameful. Some people maybe not. Who knows? I don't care. Uh, I love it. Um, and then uh, something that I would recommend to just about anyone is Kids on the Slope. Uh, but outside of that, it's not really a medium that I like. go out of my way to find and consume. Like, I know it exists. Like, I know, like, My Hero Academia or other shonens, um, Hunter x Hunter, what have you, exist. Um, and I'm aware of, like, vaguely of what the characters look like. Uh, but outside of that, like, I'm not going out of my way to watch, like, Prince of Tennis um, or what have you. Okay, so you pretty much know, you've watched enough to know kind of the shonen tropes, which is good because he yeah. kind of mentions that in here. Um, so that's as for my focused on, Absolutely. yeah, that's yeah. Um, like, as a medium of manga, he is like chosen to focus and exist in a subsection of manga. Correct. 
So as for myself, I'm a big old weeb. Uh, I did the whole gateway with Toonami, and I've after I watched Gundam Wing, that pretty much got me like that got me hooked. Like Dragon Ball Z was really cool, but like Gundam Wing was like, yeah. So you have these cool robots and these teenagers who are technically terrorists, and I was like, oh fuck. And then there's like all these political intrigue shit. So like, okay, mm-hmm. like this is what this is what it could be. Me, my mature. 11 year old self can totally get behind this and um that really kicked off me getting into like anime fandom in general too so blame gundam wing for that and probably other people will nod along with that and mm-hmm. after that um i went to like anime conventions i uh used to go to suncoast coast to coast and get anime vhs tapes that took like almost two years to come here Sure. Um, I'm a big, like, I have a bunch of figures and shit and all this other stuff. Um, and I don't just read Shonen or Shoujo. I read a bunch of shit. The whole point, it has to have a pretty good story and characters. So, and the funny part is, like, recently, probably in the past five years, I haven't really watched anything besides Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. I got into My Hero Academia, but it's kind of getting in the same problems of, like, I really don't care about the main character. All the other characters are way more interesting to me, but mm. the that I mean that's just always a problem. You're always people are like, yeah, I like this person, so I'll just wait for that episode to come out with that person in it, and then I'll watch it. But otherwise, I, I kind of I'll watch a show, and then someone like, hey, this show is really good for the season, and then I sweet, I watch it. And my other problem with anime is that it's too fucking long, and I want a nice wrapped up story. Hmm. instead of just keeping going for 900 episodes i'm looking at you one piece people have tried to get me into one piece and i'm just like i'm not going to watch 900 episodes yeah no give me like 10 movies like if we're just do a marvel cinematic universe movie for one piece and i'll just fucking watch that well are the episodes 30 minutes long yes yeah uh uh 10 movies is not going to cover the ground that 450 hours of episodes. Oh yeah, for sure. But it's just like, I really, uh, it just, it's just not going to work. And like, there's no nice way to summarize stuff. Cause like some stuff, it's just like, no, you need to watch it because it's really fucking cool when this thing happens. So regardless me, bigger weeb than Jimmy, that that's all you need to know. Um, yep. (laughs) From this. Um, what else? Uh, now I'm I'm realizing um, we should have gotten some sort of like partnership or sponsorship with Crunchyroll for this episode. Oh man! Uh, um, but um, yeah, so uh, Angela, much bigger weeb, um, and I have dalliances and recognize things, but I I am very foreign as far as like I have a very loose familiarity. Yeah. So. Overall, this book is like pretty uh, a way that Hirohiko tries to organize how he approaches um, creating a story or creating a, a series. And the one major thing that I kind of took away from this was his uh, Kisho Tenketsu, the mm-hmm. essentially kind of the uh, setup and the the I guess the pacing of the story and just how like things that are going to happen. Mm-hmm. Which I found really, really, like, that part of, uh, I think it was, like, chapter four is, like, really interesting. Especially when he broke it down for, like, 
oh, here's um, The Walking Dead. And as you see the our graph, it goes downward. Yeah. And it could work out, but like it's not a good idea because his philosophy is, oh, everything should actually, in the, like, in the grand scheme of things, end on a more of a positive basis and not a downer. Which yeah. to, I, I'm trying to think of a, like several movies, like, okay, you know, fuck it. Last of Us 2 kind of ends. I, I didn't even play it. I just know so much of it because of the stupid fucking leak and people being insane. Um, I've avoided it completely. Like, all I know is people are real mad. For oh various reasons. Yeah, there's there's so many reasons, but it's just the the storytelling aspect of it is really to me interesting because uh, one people actually you know what I'll bring up a better example Game of Thrones the way that fucking ended okay, essentially yep. <laughs> yeah yeah like that was uh, okay yeah let's climb Everest the story but like four fifths of the way like climbing it like we're we're just gonna like chop off the rest of the top of the mountain and you're just going to like slowly slope down to like uh, i don't know a jungle gym and you can climb that the rest of the way for like the last three seasons yeah and the thing is is that like um in this in the in that chapter chapter four he mentions several times of just shit that you shouldn't do to readers like um they pretty much pull a power out of their ass or hand it down from God all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. uh, it's all a dream, a bunch of coincidences. And um, uh, let me look for the other one, which, but I, I like highlighted most of that section because I felt like that was something that recent storytelling or like shows that kind of ended poorly kind of did. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, like with Game of Thrones, I watched the first two or three seasons, and then I kind of got bored. I read the books, and then I was just like, "Eh, this is just bad." Ah, the one was the author speaks coincidences, protagonist blunders for apparently <laughs> for just like no reason, essentially. Mm -hmm. And then it was all a dream. That that was uh, those were the four. Yeah. Um, I'm real excited for the rest of the books. Uh, I hope this man stays alive. But uh, yeah, the show was hot garbage. Um, towards the honestly the last four seasons like five and six eh. yeah. seven and eight were fucking garbage anyway that that's a whole nother like podcast like completely um but uh, i want to i want to go back to kisho tenketsu to like uh because i i have the page pulled up for what each one is so key is the introduction um and the purpose of it is to introduce the protagonist to the reader. Um, and you have to have the protagonist appear as quickly as possible. Um, so the reader isn't thinking, when the hell is the main character going to show up? Uh, then show is development. So the protagonist encounters the antagonist or some hardships. Uh, 10 is the twist. Um, and he goes into how you can have like 10, 10, 10, 10, 10 or mix up 10 and show um, over and over again to just keep like a rising pace to everything. Um, and, but 10 is, is the twist. The protagonist faces uh, or rises to meet a challenge, uh, but an additional problem creates a dilemma in this part of the story. The protagonist attempts to strike back at the antagonist or hardship, but the difficulties keep building and the reader keeps turning pages to find out what will become of the protagonist. And then Ketsu is the resolution. Yeah, and he mentions um, that, yeah, so you can, 
have everything like 10, 10, 10, 10. But if you don't actually have the character grow, then your readers are going to be disappointed of like, well, why the fuck did I waste my time on this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you could um, do like um, 10 key, 10 key. You mean show? Uh, 10 show, 10 show, 10 show, 10 show, 10 show. Um, allowing for like character development to meet that twist and deal with that twist. Um, and then more twists, more development, more twists, more development, and just keep going and going. And that's how you get 900 episodes of One Piece. Yeah, and granted, not everything's going to totally fit this uh, this um, pattern, but it's a pretty you can pretty easily like pick out like um, different media that do this, and you're like, oh, okay, like I can see that, and then you can probably f- figure out why it will fail because um, one of the uh, graphs he had was and he commented where it's pretty much like a snake but it's going upwards mm-hmm. it's like the hero sometimes stagnates and is given pause by worry on the whole the hero continues to grow but the readers will find it tedious mm-hmm. and that's why sometimes i think like later on in like dragon ball z you see goku kind of rises to the challenge but you know he's strong enough to get through it so it's not you know technically he always right like he Goku, like people are like, oh fuck, we need to get Goku to defeat the villain because we tried, and then Goku shows up and he's like, okay, I trained and now I can beat this guy, or he c- overcomes a lot of like really hardship to beat them, mm-hmm. and but he's still rooting for Goku. However, I can see where that will like I stopped watching Dragon Ball Z after a certain point because I was like, yeah, go-. like I just didn't care for Goku after a point, and Vegeta was cool. But Vegeta, they just didn't really use him a lot, or they used him for gags or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, especially in this medium, like having permanent growth without like leading to the assumption that like the hero is just always going to deal with it um, just by training more. Um, that's that's definitely the difficulty. Yeah, for sure. Um, he also talks about in this chapter, like the tournament problem in which that you need like, okay, you have a tournament to show who's best, uh, and then you win. And then it's just kind of like, so now do you have another tournament? And mm. if you've watched, you know, Yu Yu Hakusho or Dragon Ball Z, that was always a fucking tournament, at least yeah. one tournament <laughs> in its run. But the thing with Yu Yu Hakusho, it was a tournament so it can get to the, um, so they could get to the main bad guy. And I, I forgot Yu Yu Hakusho, but I just know that was just a a ruse so they can get into the secret thing and yeah. find the bad guy. It it allowed for the resolution and it didn't immediately follow with like, and now we're going off on adventures and maybe a little be another tournament. Like it it just ends. Um and then um he has a thing for not going negative. And which I found interesting. Because there's definitely a, this is where the difference between like, this is a shonen, and then how other, um, other mangas or other media kind of deals with like going negative. Mm-hmm. So, like in video games, for instance, like Spec Ops: The Line, which is the one that I can only think of, um, you can kind of end it going negative, and then. Because it's the the game is more about you than the actual character that's in the game, so you can kind of end it on a negative note. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if it, I don't try to think of what game. Oh well, actually no, I just think of one. Okay, so one game that ended negative was Far Cry Five, um, 
real quick, you go to Montana, you go and try to kill a cult. Turns out, wow, they're right. They go get nuked. The end, you go and stay with the cult leader in the bunker. And then it ends. And he's right. It's a really, really dumb game. And I don't spend more than $5 on it. Hmm. Um, but as you can see, you, you pretty much, nothing that you did really mattered because the guy was right. So what was the point of playing the game? And, that, and that's kind of the problem with, with that. Sure, yeah. Um, downward trajectories definitely do take more skill to pull off in, in a way that is still engaging, definitely. Um, the, the call out to The Walking Dead is fantastic uh, for this exact purpose because as far as like the, the misery porn goes uh, aspect of Walking Dead, of just like seeing these people suffer, that's probably enjoyable for some people, but the fact that there's like very little like personal growth in this environment where they like learn to deal with zombies in in a successful way consistently um or learn to deal with the the people that are managing to survive in this environment in a successful way. Uh, just leads to really bad character writing. Like you, you eventually end up with these characters. You're just like, how are you this stupid? Yeah. I think sometimes the story, the plot gets in the way of the characters mm -hmm. and that happens quite a bit. Cause like, I want to go to B and you're like, okay, how do we get to B? Instead of like, well, how would the characters get to B? Would they actually go to part B, you know, like, E um, exit, or will they go to like C exit because of these situations? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And this is uh, something he talks about in the character chapter um, in thinking about um, when you create a character. And he lays out this fantastic like sheet of like how to build a character in your mind in the first place. Um, and I don't play DD, um, but I have played D&D once and if D&D sheets came with these sort of like fields versus like the the like D&D sheet you can download or I downloaded offline when I played in 2007 um I have a feeling that more people would be able to break into role playing as their character versus say like I do these skills as their character. Um, but anyway, um, he, he talks about how you, in developing your character, you, you go through and you figure out like their fears and their powers and like what they enjoy, what their hobbies are, like basically how they think about the world. And then when you create problems, you're not thinking about like, how do I get from point A to point B? But instead it's, I am at point A and there is problem in front of me. How does character A deal with this problem? Exactly. And like, you think like, wow, that's really kind of excessive with all this stuff. But like, I feel like if you're already Jojo, you kind of, you think, wow, that he's really going into this, how he really likes pasta. But then you're like, oh, and that, if there's a payoff later for knowing this information. Mm -hmm. um, like uh, when uh, in like part, shit five yeah part five where he does the test and um 
the main character, he can pretty much produce, uh, I'm going to fuck this up, but whatever. He's going to, he can produce something from like another object essentially. So he produced a, he changed, transformed a gun from a, like a, uh, into a banana and the guy pretty much shot himself in the face. So you're like, oh, this character is really into like eating food or whatever. Then like, of course he's going to eat the banana or whatever. Um, let's see. Spoilers for the listeners. Yeah, I have like the first three episodes. A single episode. Did I see three episodes or did I see one episode of JoJo? I'm not. I'm not sure. I have seen almost no JoJo. Um, so a lot of this book, especially like talking about like how I did this in JoJo Lion or how I did this in like JoJo Saves the Rainforest. Uh, that last one was made up. Um I'm completely lost in like what actually is going on there and the reference he's making. Um, so big deal. Um, yep. No, so, the book still works even oh, without yeah, knowing sure. Jojo at all. Yeah. It's probably one of the more accessible um, books about light manga. If you're just like, I have no, I've never read a manga. I don't know what anime is. I know what, like what of it, but not seen one. Hmm. Um, what I thought was interesting also about Kisho Tenketsu and how he deals with the rising and then how to kind of reset is him just going, well, technically my, like the theme is the like perseverance of humanity and like passing on your torch. So he gets out of like, okay, like this story arc is over. So we're going to start another story arc. So he can come up with new, um, things for people to kind of like new uh, adventures and stories that he wants to tell without always using the same characters because he's like, well, their arc ended and he doesn't have to extend it or try to, you know, figure it out. Um, and uh, so that that's exactly the spoiler that I was mentioning before we started recording that I didn't know about Jojo is that Jojo is um, it's not about one character but it's or like one jojo but it's about a essentially a family lineage of jojos so far as i understand yes yes so like the first story is like in the 1880s yeah like the 1880s yeah yeah um and so you follow essentially this family of jojos both across um time and across the world Pretty much. Um, that's uh, when I first heard about this. I thought that sounded pretty cool, especially for him when he mentioned, like, uh, in the, his artist chapter, where uh, he had to essentially change his style every so often because of the new, you know, the new way that people were drawing. So, like, if you ever see JoJo Part One, you know this is a very '80s, very like big shoulders. It looks like Fist of the North Star, mm. and then. Part three, which is um, oh my gosh, I can't. Or part three, early nineties. Um, yeah, so it's pretty much the nineties, but everyone's like kind of. They still have big shoulders, but they're kind of slimmed down. Part four, they're even like more slim. So, uh, you can the thing like he can keep up with like the current trend without it being outdated looking. Mm -hmm. uh, he mentions that in his art um, art chapter. Mm -hmm. He also mentions another uh, long-running manga author who does the same thing, where they keep changing the uh, style. Like it, they slowly, subtly like change the style over the years, 
so that it can not seem outdated. Unless it's something they're going for, right? Like, they're like, oh, this is set in the 70s, so I kind of want to have a more 70s look and feel mm-hmm. to kind of signal to the reader that this is this time period. Absolutely. And he talks a lot about um, how you need to, if you're setting a story in a time period, you have to really study that period. And if you're setting a story in a place, you have to really study that place to not only like get the like technical aspects of it, like this is the kind of car that you would see at that time, or like this is the kind of phone that you would see at the time, but like the fashion styles and the, uh, in, in the case of manga, like the way you would draw characters, like bigger shoulders, bigger eyebrows for men, thin eyebrows for women. Um, and so much of like creating a good, a good setting um, for your characters is based in doing a heavy amount of research. And he talks about going to various places for his mangas multiple times to not just like get an understanding of them online, but like to walk the streets and eat the food and like see people about and how they are um, as well as taking in art from that, that place and potentially that time, depending on whether you're focused on art of that time or just trying to take in the, the, the culture of that place. Yeah. And so like, as you mentioned, he visited places. So he visited Italy and part five, Diamond in his, oh, no, I was, wow, almost said the wrong, whatever. Anyway, um, in part five, they travel through Italy. And he's like, yeah, if you go to Italy, I'm pretty sure, like, I'm pretty accurate about the train and what you go see when you're in certain places in Italy, which I kind of want to do. This sounds really cool, but we're probably banned from traveling for the next, like, five <laughs> years. So we'll see. Yeah. Maybe if we show, like, a history of like negative tests yeah. and then we also test negative like two weeks prior to leaving and then we also go live in like a bubble room at the airport maybe yeah. maybe we'll be able to leave oh um, no this is how this is how cruise ships come back they stop taking these dumb cruises and actually just transport people for multiple weeks across the Atlantic and across the Pacific. So we don't have to worry about, are you infected uh, at the end? You just dock for two weeks and then everyone either is dead or walks off the ship. Fair. That's a, that's a, that's an idea. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Right. Um, um, another part of the setting that you mentioned was there was a, one of the JoJo's like part, Seven. I don't know. I didn't read that far yet. Um, they do a cross-country trip across the United States, and he was like, "Okay, yeah. I live in Japan, so I need to figure out like driving through the United States." And I thought it he captured it really well, where it's just like you're driving, you're driving, you're driving, and there's nothing around you, like nothing, well, and then you he, keep driving. He said that specifically about the Midwest chunk yes. of his trip because he did it in three trips. Yeah, and I live, grew up in the Midwest, and so I like when he's like, "Yeah, there's nothing." I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's the that's the correct like thing." If you just don't, if you haven't done a trip through the Midwest, it's really, really, really fucking empty, and yeah. it's vastly empty, and you don't know that until you actually go and do it. Yeah, I mean, it sucks, but like once you figure out, like, oh, 
most of like when you drive in Texas and then you drive for four hours and you're still in fucking Texas, it's like that or even six hours. You're yeah. still in fucking Texas. Oh, it's you, massive. You could maybe drive for 12 or 14 hours and stay in Texas. If you went like straight across the top from what is it? Is it Louisiana or Mississippi? Um, Texas touches right there on, on its eastern coast. Oh shit. I think it's Louisiana. So if you drove from like the top point of Texas that touches Louisiana to the top point of Texas that touches Arizona, you could probably, I don't know that you could do that in 24 hours, maybe 18. Yeah. It's, it's big. Um, it's so, real and real empty. Yeah. And I think the takeaway from this chapter is this: like, you really got to put in the research in order, like if you really want to convey a setting granted, I, that's like really difficult for, uh, not really. I mean, it. You have to really expand your mind if you're doing like science fiction, but mm. you can probably cobble together experiences from other things or things that you want to convey. Like, oh, I wanted to talk about spaceships, or you know, uh, or like most of the crews on spaceships. How do people, uh, you know, acclimate to zero G? So you can probably go read accounts on people on the International Space Station or space flights and stuff like that. Or if you're you're doing like a, if you know G, Zero G exists and you're like, I want to have like a dance party in a spaceship. Uh, how do we create an environment where there isn't Zero G? How do we replicate gravity? Yeah. Or, I mean, and then of course you can just read other science fiction books to see what they do and see like, oh, that's nice. Let me maybe take a, take a piece from that or... I don't like, I don't want to do what they do. <laughs> like, yeah. I want to do the opposite of what they're doing. So uh, maybe I can take their thing and just flip it mm -hmm. and comb something else. Um, so uh, I feel like we've covered his character writing. I feel like we've covered setting. Um, so let's talk about theme. Yes. I feel like sometimes with most recent storytelling, there isn't very much a theme or mm -hmm. something that's not very obvious to me as a theme. Mm -hmm. um, I would agree, especially with larger stories. Like we've already talked about Game of Thrones. The theme in Game of Thrones is heavily anti-war and like heavily anti-hierarchy. But the way in which the story is like em you immerse yourself in, you're immersing yourself in these ind individuals' lives and how you'll frequently get like glimpses of like, oh, war is bad, hierarchy is bad. Um, but so much of the story is, is tied up into how these individuals are navigating the world that it's very easy to miss these things. Yeah, and then like pretty much at the end, doesn't it still maintain the hierarchy? And yes, I guess there's still peace. I don't know, like a very tentative peace that could be Probably um, going to break out into war at some point in the future because war is Because of Sansa, right? Because Sansa's a bloodthirsty person. I don't know. I just was like, what's going on with these characters? Yeah. Um, and just like the, the piece that exists in... Because so much of the story is like Westeros, Westeros, Westeros. And then we have Danny off in the grasslands and then in like these desert cities um and then she comes to westeros and then spoilers dies 
Um, and then the story ends thinking about Westeros, but like there was a liberated slave city that now is going to find out that its queen is dead. Um, and then, I mean, the Dothraki still exist. And uh, despite there now being like an elected king and well, the elected king may be psychic, sure. Um, but what kind of psychic? There, there are some conspiracy theories that uh, I will put forward from other people's research that Bran is actually controlled by um, the children of the forest through the weirwood trees that are essentially a psychic network that they tap into to influence people. And uh, as the three-eyed raven now sitting on the throne, he is essentially going to lead the humans into... Um, like a dark age so they, they can be wiped out and the children of the forest can take over Westeros again. Um, so despite like ending on like the war is over, we've elected a king. It's like, no, the war is going to continue. This is temporary and you still have a hierarchy. See, and that's the thing is that they're probably like, oh, once, once the dust settles, we can revisit this in 10 years. And you know... You know what's going to happen. Yes. Also, George R. is probably going to be dead in 10 years. So Probably. Keep writing, George. So another movie series that ended, to me, quite poorly. Um, it's very divisive. It's the Star Wars sequel trilogy. Mm -hmm. um, prequels had a very uh, obvious theming. Uh, fuck the Iraq War. And uh, power, uh, absolute power corrupts. And mm -hmm. also child soldiers is not a way to... Um, do anything mm -hmm. so but that's pretty pretty basic uh it does fit with the the character movement though because despite anakin getting worse and worse throughout the three movies like he's still growing in power he's just yes. growing in evil power yeah he's growing towards darth vader you're mm -hmm. like okay cool um padme just dies and that was a shame of the arc like am i like yeah. that's one of the problems okay original trilogy um creating a new hope and future kind of out of um oppression uh there's probably some other shit in there that i can't oh also redemption really big part uh every you know person could help in overcoming um problems like everyone can, if everyone bands together they could make a significant change in the world um sequel trilogy so it starts off pretty strong-ish, but I don't like TFA. Uh, it's a bit too, let me just fix um, prequel stuff. Like, fix yeah. the, oh, uh, let's not, let's just talk about Space Laser. You know, we got, we got the Stormtroopers, we got Darth Vader, and we got um, essentially a Palpatine. Two, two Palpatine. And then, um, so there's that. And I thought, oh, especially after TLJ, which is, to me, my favorite, oh boy, is that let's actually throw off the shackles of legacy and find our own path. The nope. Rise of Skywalker said, no, let's just go back to revere the original trilogy, which is just very, to me, a very shameful and cynical way to end the sequel trilogy because no one has their own thing that they can be them like their individual no one can stand up um individually unless they're referencing a past character which sucks yes yeah it's 
looking at it that way, it's like really, really conservative. Yeah. It's a very like kind of bummer type of thing because the thing is, is that uh, you kind of realize, oh, okay, Return of the Jedi, um, everything is good and you kind of expect things to probably, like the whole point is like the the galaxy is saved and we can work together to probably come up with a different um, uh, government, governing power, whatever. The end of this... Thanks for Java. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the end of the Rise of Skywalker is like, so you guys killed the one bad fleet of Palpatines, but now we got the other we First Order still. So it's just, and like the worst part is, is that you know in the back of your head that this is Disney and they will come, like they'll continue to pump out Star Wars movies probably based off of these characters. So you're just kind of like, so, so I guess you're going to just be in sequel hell forever. And it's mm -hmm. probably mm -hmm. yes. Yes. Um, and so this sort of goes to like part of the corrupting influence in media is the capitalist nature of our society. Like part of uh, at the very end of um, uh, this book, he's talking about, and also just throughout the book, he's talking about like being true to like your vision and your, your ideas and like persevering through that, even in the spite of like negative critique, as long as you like are consciously aware of the, the art or the product that you were attempting to create and like doing so in a way that um, is purposeful like it'll work out and it's like mm, maybe but like so much of like needing to have a place to live at the end of the month or needing to eat every day requires so much of like artists and creators to uh make sacrifices in their choices or has conditioned them to create in a way where they are going to um make things that are not necessarily unique um, and will frequently just walk the same steps, even if it is an inferior product, because they know that it is going to work for them in the moment. Also, Hirohiko came up during the time in Japan where they were having a big economic boom. So yes. he, I, I don't know the like uh social or like how people lived but i'm pretty sure obviously he didn't mention like i ate just rom you know like beans and ramen for you know most of my life or like my years when i came to tokyo or whatever like he didn't really go into how his lifestyle was mm -hmm. but obviously it wasn't not obviously but maybe it wasn't so bad to worth mentioning like the mm -hmm. sacrifices he made like i had to you know go and do give plasma or whatever so mm -hmm. i can make rent it seemed like, oh, I became a manga author and I just put in a bunch of contest stuff and I won and I, you know, my first um, book wasn't that great, but I still kept, you know, trying to do it. And the only thing he kind of mentioned was, yeah, I made like $1,300 once or like, like not enough money to really, like he, you know, it was kind of implied like he didn't make enough to really like live off of, but he yeah. still wanted to be a manga author. Yeah. And so there's no like mention of, so I was working as a manga author, but I was also like doing this. And it took me this many years of both 
doing this and moonlighting and I really burned myself out before I I got to this. He does talk about how like being a manga author does seem to take a lot of like a really good one like he is where others are takes a lot of like dedication and time into like researching and learning how to draw and then not just learning how to draw but like learning what your style is and uh, managing to perfect that style to the point where you can you can toss off things that like may seem a little rough to you and he, he does talk about how he views drawing as a live performance and does not like really do re-edits or redos once he is in place to draw his sheets. That is an, an insane amount of time to ask out of anyone. So it, it really either limits like what is created to either those who are insanely dedicated and are willing to make incredible sacrifices in their lives in the current day, or those who are able to get plugged into um, uh, essentially the capitalist media machine, which I know there are those, uh, those exist in the United States. I'm sure they exist in Japan. Um, oh yeah, for sure. Like the thing is, um, like JoJo is a pretty major, like, especially with the anime coming out, there's been a lot of toys and collectibles and stuff like that. If a show gets really popular, that pretty much is the money-making like anime system that will go on like forever mm. if possible mm. like evangelion even though this second movie that gave um ano like a fuck ton of hate mail guess what still made a fuck ton of toys and still sold a bunch of shit like okay. so uh there's also been recent um stories about animators not being paid um pretty much being being paid like almost like ten dollars a fucking sheet essentially um a bunch of bunch of shit like a lot of people are working for for like pennies mm -hmm. um because the their, is, their dream is to break into animation or break yeah. into making manga and yeah you you pretty much are trying to become a director like that that's like a thing you know try to direct your own anime and stuff like that which is a like uh very hard to do because it's they're on the lottery yeah you it's the budgets like um there's several shows where you can tell that by episode 10 they super ran out of fucking money so they start like really cutting down the quality which sucks and then they kind of just said yeah we'll return next season and it never gets canceled but it's indefinitely like on hold and you're like oh, okay what the fuck mm-hmm there's a lot of shenanigans that go on in the industry um, that, unfortunately, like uh, Western audiences aren't really privy to because, I mean, that's, you know, no one's really translate for us. It's really hard to kind of, I don't think some people think we would care. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then there's also just like the amount of like precursor knowledge you have to have about the culture and about the various people who have existed in this art form or these art forms since like probably the 70s oh yeah for sure to um, really this get a grasp of like what's going on yeah there's like definitely um this and let's see it's been around since like the 1950s 1940s so it's still relatively new or compared to like uh making movies mm -hmm. uh, yeah yeah but i mean it, it's only like 40 years after movies really yeah. 
Um, and even then, like, movies as an industry didn't really get, like, uh, a significant, like, amount of capital maybe until the 20s or 30s. So it might only have 30 or 20 years um, yeah, true. as far as Head Start for movies. Yeah, I thought, um, going back to your earlier part about him uh, discussing just kind of, you know, drawing what you need to draw and, like, kind of, uh, like, the motivations there, it's, like, it is a good like thing to try to keep in mind but yeah it's going to be difficult to kind of keep that as your main thing if it's like oh yeah you need to also pay like get paid yep um i as i was reading that and like thinking about that i was like this is great advice in a communist society um where you aren't concerned about like healthcare or uh, how to pay for education or how to feed yourself or house yourself. Like if you just have like the option to spend your time drawing and not just drawing, but drawing that what you want to draw when you are motivated to draw along with like going out and experiencing the world in various ways to get inspiration or get uh, appropriate like cultural like references. Yeah, this is, fantastic yeah um there's actually a couple famous photos and like some um like short comics about uh i think the author of hunter x hunter and it's mm -hmm. just like a bunch of trash just all in his like apartment and stuff mm -hmm. and everyone's like oh that's really gross it's like no this like it's like a joke of like this is the lifestyle of like a manga author and like kind of a tongue-in-cheek but it's just kind of like no you're you're stuck in your house you i think there was a it may have been him who had like a uh, like here's my day to day and mm -hmm. it's like he's constantly drawing and then he like pins in like here's a bathroom break and like here's when I eat and here's when I go back to the bathroom and here's like when I go eat and here's when like my free time mm -hmm. which is like 30 minutes before going to bed and then waking up and doing it all over again it's a fucking yep. grueling process yep because like the the frequency at which these things come out and the amount of like artistic time for a single individual to create like 40 or 50 pages at the level that they're expected to. Um, it's, it's, it's really not a surprise at all. If like 12 hours of your day, 13 hours of your day is devoted just to this and you're eating only like instant food that you bought from like essentially a Seven Eleven or a quickie Mart. Yeah, and I think uh, one manga author, she passed because a bunch of shit just fell on her or something like that. It's, yeah, yep. like, it's not great. Yep. And, you know, that unfortunately, just the way that the industry is so entrenched with these practices that uh, I don't know if that will change anytime soon, unless people are kind of like, well, I just don't expect to get a manga, like a, a new chapter every uh, month or week or whatever. Granted. Yeah. The author of Berserk, he can fucking do that. He takes hiatuses all the fucking time. He comes back for two chapters and then just goes away for two or three years. And that's honestly probably healthy. Um, and that that sort of ties into um, the American cartoon industry. Um, I'm sure our listeners, actually, I can't say I'm sure, but anyone who has listened this far into the podcast, I'm sure probably has heard of the cartoon steven universe and if if you've watched other cartoons that have come out through cartoon network like adventure time or um 
<sighs> I can't really think of anything. It's been a million years since I watched Cartoon Network stuff, but like most of these cartoons that are coming out have like a, a set schedule in, in which they are broadcasting and um, the the animators and the directors and the writers are all working with that deadline in mind. Whereas the, the show Steven Universe would do like three episodes and then go on a undefined hiatus and then come back with very little warning and just be like, here's two or three more episodes and then hiatus. And the fandom hated that. Yeah, that's not surprising. That's honestly what's probably healthy healthy for a creator. And I cannot fault any of the people involved in that show because being creative at that level constantly is incredibly taxing. Yeah, I think there's been a couple of other shows, um, I'm trying to think, that kind of suffered when they were just like churning out, you know what, fuck it, SpongeBob SquarePants after a point just kind of suffers. Well, one, I think the, the original director or writer loved. I don't know SpongeBob. Uh, Steven Hillenberg was only with them, I think, for the first three seasons. Okay. So. Might be first three seasons, the first movie. I'm not entirely sure. Okay. So the thing is, is that after a point, besides like, okay, people kind of, you know, writers will quit because they, you know, got what they want out of the show or how they feel like they've done their work, or maybe they've attempted to change maybe the direction, but no one really reacted positively to that. So they just leave. So SpongeBob is kind of just churning out, I think, shows and ep- like episodes. I haven't watched Nickelodeon like for forever, so I don't know, but I just know that um, because SpongeBob is so such an important property, that they leave a lot of other shows kind of on the wayside. Mm-hmm. The reason why I'm bringing that up is because I'm rewatching Legend of Korra, and there's there's definitely I got that with season one, which is obviously supposed to be the one off, and then they do more stuff. I saw that season two had 14 episodes, and then season three had 26, and then season four had 14. So I felt like okay, between season three and season four, someone was upset they weren't making SpongeBob money or something, and we're like, no, we're cutting this shit off. So, um. But yeah, I think um, that after a point, shows just kind of deteriorate. And also, I think people need to understand that shows just need to end. Yes. I think that's just a fucking problem. That that goes once again to talking about shonens like One Piece. Or yeah. um, even like Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball GT, um, Dragon Ball Super. Um, the last one was called Super, right? I didn't even yeah. watch that. Like, yeah, super. Like, I watched the. Uh, I think we all watched the movies together when it came out in theaters. I don't, or maybe. I was I not. Know I did. Okay, so we saw that, and I was like, "Oh, cool! A new Dragon Ball Z movie or Dragon Ball movie." And there's now Blue Super Saiyan God. I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, and then I kind of didn't think of any of it. And then they're like, "Oh yeah, now we're doing a series." And I'm like, "Why are you guys bringing this? You don't have to do this." Mm-hmm. But money i guess yep it's it's entirely that it is money because like why create a a new character who has to start from zero when you can create a character when you can use a character that is incredibly beloved to tell a weaker story and get a lot of money exactly and like that's just a problem that I don't think will ever be solved because people are like, yeah, I want more. And it's just like, do you really want more? Like, Well, we 
we can solve it. We will solve it when the revolution comes. Ah, of course. <laughs> um, but on that problem, at least, I think our author would um, agree with us that at least maybe privately that uh, certain shonens should have ended because they are no longer um, they are no longer growing their characters in a positive way. Like they may grow, they may grow stronger, but they're not facing challenges and figuring them out in a way that shows like positive, like personal character growth. Like they're they're understanding the world more or better, or they're understanding themselves better. It's just like mm, I trained for a hundred hours, or. Um, I trained for a hundred years in the hyperbolic time chamber or in like this pocket of space that just I found, or I don't fucking know. I, once again, I did not watch super. So I don't know how he overcame uh, the cat man. Um, was that a cat man? Cat uh, god yeah, man? So. Con- yeah, he's pretty much a cat god man, but his friend was another powerful. He's also secretly really powerful or something like that. I, I don't recall. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, I I have a feeling that our author um, would find Dragon Ball Super to be lackluster and something that both uh, did not need to be created and should not have been created because of its failings. Yeah. Um, speaking of um, people extending or shows and or books that extend longer, uh, there's a shojo manga called Lovely Complex and. Shoujo are mainly girls manga are mostly focused on romance, but that doesn't I mean there's no action. There's usually like a magical girl stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Lovely Complex essentially is about a uh, tall girl and a short guy. They both get made fun of and then they eventually fall in love, blah, blah, blah. And in the, the anime, it ends where they fall like they get together and that's the ending. In the manga, they get together. And then the next chapter they bring in a love rival because that's the same height as this guy. And I just put it down. I was like, yeah, I'm just going to say they got together and that was it because there was no point of bringing this other fucking person in, but it's just so that they can raise the stakes. Yep. They they pretty much go back to Ketsu. Yes. They pretty much now like, let's just go back to where we are and have this weird melodrama and stuff like that. And I get it. It's a fuck, like, they're in high school. You need to bring up, like, oh, there's some other person. It needs to be, like, some soap opera thing. I was like, no, we can just end where yep. it happens. But, like, you know, I guess it was just really popular enough to keep going. And that's a problem. Yes. Yes. Um, so, um, on Shoju, you made a note. Uh, that there are no female editors at editors at Shonen Jump, which our author makes a, a specific point to point out at one point, um, and he he does so both through the book uh, as well as a one shot. Uh, I don't know if he does so um, specifically in the one shot, but um, in the one shot he has a female editor for Shonen Jump and. He, I guess, point he points out in the book that it's not the case that there are any, or it's the case that there are none uh, at Shonen Jump. Um, does this how do does this have to do with the patriarchal nature of Japanese culture, 
Um, I would say yes, probably. Yeah, I guess if you think about it, like, uh, I bet with um, manga itself, manga itself is like really hard to get into. And it's like, I wonder if those guys just kind of built themselves up to be an editor mm -hmm. and trying to get in as a woman is probably very difficult. There's definitely authors, women authors of shonen manga, uh, like Full Metal Alchemist that showed up in a shonen. Um, that explains why that has such, well, okay, that's not fair. Men are capable of emotional depth, but Full Metal Alchemist had incredible emotional depth for a shonen. Um, yeah, so like, there's definitely female shonen authors, and I'm pretty sure there's probably uh, male shoujo authors. Um, but it's the thing is, I, I I mean, I don't know if most people will go look up like who the author's gender is, and sure. you probably just make an assumption of like, okay, this is like this seems really shonen y so it's probably a dude or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, as for editors, like I. The reason why I just pointed it out because I just thought it was interesting that it's like, oh, there's no female editors. And just the fact that he pointed it out was like interesting to me. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that for him, it was like kind of a critique or a like kind of like, oh, you know, there maybe there should be female editors at Shonen Jump. There probably should be. I'm, no, there definitely should be. Um, I would also say that it, so what little I know about the Japanese culture at large outside of their food culture, which is something that I, I probably know the most about. And that's not saying I know a lot about their food culture. It just that that is what I probably know the most about. Um, what I do know about their like political culture, they, they are very patriarchal. Um, they are very, male-centric, at least as far as what they expect in, in the business world. Um, and beyond that, they also do have a number of like subcultures. Like It's not that like you go to Japan and everyone is Japanese. There are essentially subclasses or subcasts. Um, and not only would Shonen Jump probably benefit from having uh, women as a part of their editor staff, but probably also members of their subcasts as part of their editor staff. Now, do I know, are there members of the subcasts that are part of their editor staff? No, I don't. Um, but I don't know negatively either. Um, yeah. All and I, I would assume, based on the fact that they have a cast system, they probably are not. Yeah. All I know for in the American publishing world, editors are generally or publishers slash editors are generally white and male. And that's yes. that's something that's always brought up. Um so I imagine they probably have the same problems as that we do here for publishing and editing that they do over there. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um so you could probably get more realistic stories, stories with greater depth stories with more interesting perspectives by not only having more variety in writers, but more variety in editors. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, let's see. I think to kind of end this or kind of wrap this up, I thought what was interesting was him talking about um, in order to come up with ideas, he pretty much says like, I really don't like, like don't ever have no ideas as long as I'm very curious about the world. Like his example of, the one shot that he created and it all spawned from hearing about 
these two like really bougie guys talking about getting a cat like this house in the woods and there's these hogs that are there and mm -hmm. he created a story about that and i i thought that was like really like a like another good advice that didn't have too many caveats or things that you have to really consider but I, I thought that was like a nice thing to kind of think of like, oh, just think of the stuff that you hear or read, you know, online or wherever and just kind of like be curious about it. Mm -hmm. um, so I did like that as well, but I also had a bit of an issue with like what he he took as the problem there. Because, okay, so yes, carving into a mountain to build mansions and then getting upset that like there's wildlife there that is fucking with your mansion is rude as hell um at the same time feral hogs are a problem this um, is true and feral hogs will fuck you up and they will outbreed us all and if they ever get the intelligence to hold a gun look out so that is an idea for your next story or um, comic book is feral hogs being uh, intelligent enough to figure out how to fire guns. Oh my god, I would honestly read a manga that was like feral hog, like militant revolutionary party. See, there you go. If you got to the end of this, you got a pretty cool fucking idea. Feel free to take it, comrades. Um, before we go though, I do want to talk about that thing that that we chatted about when I was really confused a couple weeks ago? Yes. What does blood type have to do with character behavior? Um, blood type is kind of like a horoscope type of thing. Um, I would say it was very popular in the 80s and 90s. If you've ever read like Sailor Moon, they when they have like a little profile about the different characters that have their blood type, uh, that is my very off the top of my head answer. So, like, 80s and 90s, obsession with blood type, like, does this have to, like, is this part of, like, the cultural fallout of, like, some of the preconceptions regarding, like, like, the cultural beliefs of, like, World War II Imperial Japan? Like, because... I'm not sure. I don't know if it's that in, like, that deep, but it could be. Okay. Uh, if you were Japanese or know a lot about Japanese culture uh, and know where this like uh, fixation on blood types revealing things about a human being's character, um, leave us a line or send us a message or some other way of communicating with us at we have no means for you to communicate with us. Speak it to the stars and we will hear it. Too true. Okay, um, so for next, not next month, for August, we have the long 20th century. And in September, we have October, the story of the Russian Revolution. And then in actual October, we have Eclexicon of Terror. So a lot of historical and heavy-ass books. Yes. I'm um, real excited for the long 20th century. I, I learned about this book from uh another podcast that i listened to the antifada where a member of the antifada john kb talked with terrence from the trillbilly workers party about this book um so i already have generally an idea of what it's about but i'm really excited to dig into it that sounds great <laughs>
<laughs> All right. Uh, so that's it for us. Um, and remember, books, books are, are good. good. Actually. actually.